Welcome to the Growing Woman Podcast. I am your host, Christina Singh, and I am thrilled to have you here. If this is your first time joining me, uh, the Growing Woman Podcast is all about showcasing women's voices and stories. And this week, I am so thrilled to be bringing you another interview with an incredible woman. Um, I also just want to say thank you so, so much for your support of our first episode of our first season in 2021. I shared my journey of being pregnant during COVID-19 and I have just received the most incredible um, feedback and support and love for the episode. So thank you all so much for that. And I am just so, so glad to have you here for episode two. So this week I uh, chatted with Claudette Rob Ross. Uh, I cannot wait for you to hear her story and to hear more about who she is. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Claudette before we dive into to the interview. Um, she is the CEO of NYC's Best Commercial Cleaning Service, Inc., and it's a 100% women-owned and operated company providing cleaning service to clients in Manhattan. Uh, Claudette and her team have 25 years of experience in the janitorial hospitality and customer service industry, um, and Claudette is a top graduate of the world-renowned Cornell University School of Hotel Administration, and she also holds a BS in Business Administration with dual majors in food and beverage and housekeeping operations. She's worked in housekeeping management in world-class luxury hotels in Boston and Dallas, assisting with openings and managing a staff of 100 service personnel. Claudette is no joke, and I cannot wait for you to hear her story of how she started her business, um, of being in the hospitality industry as a Black woman, and uh, just sharing her journey with you all. I'm so thrilled you're here. So let's jump into this interview with Claudette and learn more about her. Can't wait to talk to you, Claudette. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. Thank you so much for being here. I was really excited to talk to you because of your background, because I really don't know much about this industry. And I was so curious how you got into this industry and how you've built this business uh, and First of all, I would just love to know where you're from and where did you grow up and how did you make your way from where you're from to this um, profession and, and go into Cornell? Okay. Well, I think it's an interesting story. At least I think so. Great. I got to Cornell. I think I, think I turned 30 there and I got there. As a, I went there as a sophomore. I had already started college going at night at Rutgers University in New Jersey and Inter-American University in Puerto Rico. I did that for a year just to get out of town for a while. And then I came back to uh, Cornell. I am from Montclair, New Jersey. That's where I grew up. And I've always been entrepreneurial, going all the way back to having a lemonade stand as a kid. 
and running the show, making everyone pay dues or go home and get sugar and lemons and whatnot. <laughs> so I've always been a bit entrepreneurial. How I got into this business, I did a summer internship while I was at Cornell and the HR person from a hotel, luxury hotel out in Dallas, uh, had come to Cornell, all the recruiters do because it's a top-notch school. And some of us juniors, we decided to, or sophomores decided to bust the party and ask for jobs. They were really there to talk to the graduating seniors. And I got a job internship out in Dallas for the summer at a luxury hotel, Four Seasons was the chain. And at first to my dismay, she was a black woman. She put me in housekeeping. And I was like, what? There were like three of us coming from Cornell. I'm the only person of color. And why was I put in housekeeping? Oh, wow, yeah. I, I didn't go Ivy League so I could be in housekeeping. However, it turned out to be a brilliant idea. Brilliant, because not many Ivy Leaguers do go into housekeeping. So when I graduated, I had my choice of jobs. Right. And I did, from there, I went to Boston when I graduated to another luxury hotel to housekeeping management as an assistant manager. And people would ask me, what's a nice girl like you doing in housekeeping? But I was just in demand because they were looking for people. Not, not many people wanted to go into housekeeping. It's right. not the most glamorous place to be. You're usually in the basement, but we make or break the hotel. Yeah. The whole house. Absolutely. Well, if housekeeping, you've got nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to kind of back up to your upbringing in Montclair, New Jersey. So that's where you're from. Um, when you were growing up, you said you had an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, what were some major influences in your life around kind of that spirit? And how did, how did that, do you have like a source of where that came from? Well, it kind of ties together with what I'm doing now. I was bossy. <laughs> I was, even though I was a twin, I was the more mature, my twin brother. You know, so I was just bossy, I was four siblings. And I was, so I was an alpha female. And I think that was part of the leadership thing. And when you're in the suburbs in the summer, there's not a whole lot to do. So we're going back in time now, like to the 60s, early 60s, yeah. when you could have a lemonade stand out on the curb and people would actually come and pay 10 cents for a glass of lemonade or yeah. Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that sort of was my spirit. And it was always like that. Did your parents encourage that leadership in you or did you just kind of summon that up from your, your surroundings? From the surroundings, from boredom, from <laughs> being bossy. I had friends in the neighborhood, mostly having something to do and let's make a little bit of change. Yeah. Which back in those days, 10 cents went a long way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you mentioned that you got to Cornell when you were 30. So what was your path before then? I, start, I, just, I had been a secretary and that's what I was in high school. I took shorthand and bookkeeping and typing and I wanted to be a secretary. It looked glamorous on TV. Mm. So I went into secretarial work, but at some point I wanted to get off the typewriter. And that's when I decided to go get my degree, my sheepskin as they called it. And I went to Rutgers, I started going at night. I found out that I, even though I had not been college prep in high school, I still had a very good education because Montclair High School was ranked number 13 in the country at the time. So just being there, you got a good education. I spent uh, two years at Rutgers. And when I found it would take seven to eight years going at night to get a degree, I said, eh, that's going to take way too long. Wow, yeah. 
and I just, and I was bored with being in the suburbs. So that's when I decided to move to Puerto Rico for a year. What was that experience like? Well, all the military is in Puerto Rico and I had a girlfriend who was staying with her boyfriend down there. And she said, why don't you come down here and check it out? So I, I did and I liked it. I went for a weekend and I decided, oh, you know, it's beautiful beach weather all year round. So I said, oh, I could get used to this. I'm tired of <laughs> snow and all that stuff. Yeah. So I moved to Puerto Rico and I went to school for a year on the army base because I found out that wherever the military is, they provide education opportunities for the soldiers. So I went to school on the army base because that was English speaking. I had not really learned Spanish, no matter how many times I took it. And uh, about a year of that, believe it or not, I got tired of the constant summer weather. Mm. I didn't realize how the seasonal change was in my blood. Yeah. And I, I just couldn't take another day of summer. <laughs> <laughs> Came back in October, it was autumn and it was gorgeous. I hadn't realized how beautiful autumn could be. Yeah. You're very, from what it, from what I'm observing, a very resourceful person. So you have the lemonade stand when you're, you're younger and that leadership and that entrepreneurial spirit. You had the experience of being a secretary and that was your goal. And then you realized, actually, I want more. So you took action and made it happen. Um, I think a lot of people are afraid to take action around their goals or, or there might be fear there. Were there ever any moments of fear that you had when you were going to school at Rutgers or when you were going to Puerto Rico? And did you have those moments of fear and how did you bypass them? Well, when I first got to Puerto Rico, I was a little intimidated by it because they treat women very differently there mm. or did. You know, they would honk the horn at you if you were at all pretty. Mm. A lot of the women wore high heels all the time. That wasn't my thing. So uh, I got tired of that type of culture. It wasn't for me. I had not grown up in it. Mm. So that was one reason to leave Puerto Rico. And I had already applied to Cornell from there. Was interviewed down there at a hotel. And it was a successful interview. And also I had good grades because Rutgers at night and this university in Puerto Rico was just a piece of cake for me. I was Dean's List all the time without even effort. I love that. Yeah, that it's, ended when I got to Cornell. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you're a very action-oriented person. Has it always been in your spirit to take action? It has. And, you know, I found that that was part of my growing up. I remember when my mother told the babysitter, anything you need to know, just ask Claudette. Wow. So I was put in a leadership position, and my siblings came to me to solve things, work out things. So, yeah, it's nature and nurture. Right. And what a great moment for you to embrace that. And it seems like that's definitely a pattern in your life and in your story. When you get to Cornell, what was your experience like at Cornell? I know you mentioned being placed in hospitality and how that kind of led you to your company or to your, to your life in hospitality. Um, but what was your experience like while you were learning? at Cornell? Well, number one, that was the end of my dean's list days Mm. because I hadn't realized how tough school like that could be. And when I sat down to take my first exam, it was like, oh shit, they want all that information? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it it was really tough. It it was a tough program. Yeah. And I remember crying when I came home for Christmas break on my mom, like, 
you know, it's just, wow, it was tough. Yeah. And you were, I'm assuming, older than people in your class. How was that experience for you? Well, there were three or four of us who were older, and we turned out to be very popular for some reason. The kids (laughs) liked us, and we turned out to be very popular. And also, we stood out. The teachers knew us. So it it actually was a good experience. Yeah. I think that's such a great testament to making a decision at any age and pivoting at any age. Um, When you decided to make that decision and you were going to school, did your family have any reactions? Were they really supportive or or was there some hesitation? Well, my siblings, none of them ever did go to college, so they didn't really know what it was about. My mom was very proud of me because I was the first to go to college. Mm. And because of my entrepreneurial and alpha kind of personality, she counted on me to do things like that, to be a maverick. And I was. Yeah. So, and and Cornell, you had these challenges and, but you were very popular. (laughs) Um, When you got into that world of hospitality and you said this opened up because you had all of these options now, when you started working in Dallas, what changed in your life when you got out of Cornell, when you entered this world of hospitality? What did that look like for you? Well, when I had gone to recruiting meetings, when recruiters came to Cornell and I spoke to Holiday Inn and some other hotels, they really wanted people who would be interested in housekeeping. They couldn't find people who wanted to go into housekeeping. That right there was the way to go. And I think being a woman of color played a role also, gave me great credibility. So yeah, my bossing has helped also. So. <laughs> <laughs> when you say being a woman of color, Um, gave you great credibility. Obviously, we at the top of the show discussed that there's a stereotype that you were feeling like you were being put into. Um, So what do you, what did you feel around that? And have you, is that something that you've had to battle throughout your career? To some extent, some extent. When I went to Dallas, I didn't know I was a Yankee because I was (laughs) from the North until I went to Dallas. And it was a very different culture there. And I stood out there, I, but I did not want to go back to Dallas. Uh, the Ku Klux Klan was still marching at that time. Oh, wow. That was not for me. Yeah. So uh, in answer to your question, I think I'm getting off track a little bit. No, no. I think I'm just curious about what your experience was like in housekeeping as a woman of color um, and any sort of stereotypes that you were faced with because I know you mentioned when you were first placed into that program you're like hey I'm the only woman of color what what the heck why am I being put into housekeeping um, and so I'm just curious if that's come up for you well I was also the only black female in my graduating class wow at Cornell which was another way I, I stood out but I, I think what made me stand out and be okay with it was that the staff in the hotel they were of color. So they were happy to have me there. I think uh, one of the other managers was a German woman. The director of housekeeping was a German woman. Mm-hmm. That was a person of color. So they found that interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think um, to have a woman of color in a leadership position is incredibly strong, number one. And it's very obvious that you are a leader through what you're saying. And I think, and through your actions, um, I'm curious how you got to a place where you decided to come to New York City, Um, because I'm always very curious about people's steps in their journeys, 
uh, around, you know, coming to this city, because I think it's always very fascinating. Obviously, you're from New Jersey, so you're not too far from New York City. Um, and you were living in Dallas, and you mentioned that racial tensions were high there, and it didn't feel good to, to be there. So what was that journey like from Dallas? Did you go from Dallas to New York, or did you make a pit stop in Boston? Or? Boston I was in Boston for two years, working at a luxury hotel. And there you have the Irish contingency. Mm -hmm. So another way to, you know, have difficult situations. Mm -hmm. So it just all boiled together. I just wanted to come back home. And when you live in New Jersey, you're part of a tri-state area. New Jersey, mm -hmm. New York, Connecticut. But we were always going to New York to discos and all that. And I had worked in New York as a secretary. To discos. I yeah. love that. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I was always going to New York. Mm -hmm. And even now, I don't want to be anywhere else but New York. Even if people ask me to come visit them at their country homes, like, no, I'm sorry, I'm too city-fied. I, I just like New York. And yeah. The, it was the melting pot of cultures. So it's, for me, I've traveled to Europe and I just like being in New York. Like so yeah, when you got here, so you were working in Boston, and I really appreciate you being so open about um, how you are feeling around racial tensions when you were where you were working, and you know the environments in which you were working. Because I've definitely been in environments where they're not very comfortable, and you're like, nah, this is not for me. When you got to New York, were you working for a hotel here? When did you decide to branch out? When I left Boston, I was done with working in a hotel. I was done with the 3 to 11 p.m. shift and being off on Tuesday and Wednesday. And on a beautiful day, going into a hotel in the weekend, when your friends are going to the beach and you're going into the service entrance to go to work. It's like, no, I thought I was done with the nine to five gig as a secretary, but it's like, I really miss that because, mm -hmm. you know, this off schedule thing, just not fun. Yeah. So when did you decide to change it up and do something different? I actually came back to the New York area, came back to administrative work, believe it or not. And having a Cornell degree and having a degree period was a plus because now you weren't a secretary, you were an executive assistant. Mm -hmm. And I ended up working at the Yale Club as administrative manager. And this was in the year 2000. And they thought, you know, at midnight, the world was going to end and all the computers were going to blow up <laughs> in yeah. 2000. And of course that didn't happen. So I was at the Yale Club for two years, working for the president of the Yale Club. And that was, that was interesting. That was interesting. But again, they're very Connecticut-ish. A lot of people from Yale, Connecticut. Yeah. So I ran into a little bit of bumpiness there. <laughs> Do you, you don't have to elaborate, but if you want to, go ahead. <laughs> For instance, I'd be getting off the elevator and a guest would just be getting on, not even waiting for me to get off. Like, it was just, I didn't count. Uh. And the general manager, he was British. So he was, he was a nice guy, but a bit of a stiff. Uh, insisted that women wear skirts, you know, dresses and that kind of thing. Oh, wow. Uh, but the Yale Club is, is kind of stiff, stiff. Yeah. Compared to the Cornell Club, which is New York based. Yeah. In a different environment. Definitely sounds like a big change in your life. Yeah. Did that spur you to go to this next chapter? That made me go into business for myself. Yeah. 
And I originally was going to do residential cleaning. And I had one or two of those jobs. And it's like, I don't have the temperament for this. For working for Mrs. Plenty Money and ironing her bed linen and her husband's clothes and change the litter box. Mm, you know, and you start out doing the work so you get to know the work. Yeah. But I didn't even want to supervise the work. I didn't want anything to do with it. So that put me into commercial cleaning. Well, I think something that you're really touching on here is the um, way that we view people who clean our homes, our hotel rooms, um, people who, whose profession is to clean. And the respect or lack of respect that we can have for their, those individuals um, had the the weight that we put on those roles, um, the racism that's deeply embedded in some people's minds when they view someone in a role like that. Um, I think this conversation around how we respect housekeepers, how we respect cleaning staff is so, so important because from what you're saying, you obviously experienced people not necessarily having the highest regard for housekeepers. What is your take on this profession? Because I actually think there's a ton of dignity and honor in this profession. And the fact that someone is cleaning your space, they're doing something very, very meaningful for you in ensuring you have a clean, safe livelihood and I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I think one thing that was a turnoff for me, I was told, and it, it turned out to be rather true, that once you get into housekeeping, there's no getting out. Huh. You can't then go work the front desk or in banquets or other departments. Once you're in housekeeping, you're stuck in housekeeping. So I had to leave the hotel industry if I wanted to not be in housekeeping. Mm -hmm. And it was just turned out to be something I could turn into a business. Yeah. When you're working with teams of 100 people in your old roles before you started your own business, were there moments where you witnessed lack of respect with staff members from guests? Once in a while, but that was rare. That was rare because you don't really come in contact with the guests. Right. You're not in the room while they're there. So not so much. Not yeah. So when you started, when you decided, I don't want to be doing this <laughs> in, in this way, I want to take my lemonade stand skills, my Cornell like leadership boss skills. Um, what was the first step you took? How did that even happen? What did that even look like? Hmm. I think I had some time at home where I was not working, trying to come up with a plan. There was no internet back in that day. We're talking the 80s. So Right. I don't think there were even pagers quite yet. Everything was just very basic when you look back on it. There's mm -hmm. no telephone booths on the street. So yeah. <laughs> it was just a matter of just sit down and doing a lot of thinking. Uh, looking in newspaper ads, that's where you looked if you looked at jobs. So it was easy to go back to office work, which I did a couple of times. I even worked for a public relations firm as an administrative person. So that's work that's always easy, easy to go back to. Mm-hmm. What was the first step you took in starting your business? Well, this is my second time around. Mm. Not my first rodeo. I had this business back in the 90s. And I had met my, my husband-to-be at Cornell. He was MBA. He had been my tutor in finance. Wow. Yes. So 
we would end up getting married, but we came back to New York together. And I think what I did was just could not find anything else to do, had burned out, burned out on the secretarial thing. So I started the cleaning business. He was on Wall Street. There was a depression. He lost his job. He decided to join me. It was not something he wanted to do as an MBA, but he did. He's white and Jewish. Let me paint the picture. <laughs> and we ended up being a good team together. I started the business. I knew the business. But as an MBA, he helped run the business from the office standpoint. Mm -hmm. So we were a good team. We were a good team. And we ended up building a business that was grossing $2 million a year. Wow. We had 65 workers and 150 accounts. And this was in New York City? In New York City. No internet yet. And what was the most successful way that you brought on clients and, and new accounts? Well, there was no social media. Well, there was, but it was called the Yellow Pages. <laughs> phone book. And we took out a, our first big ad in the Yellow Pages. It was a dollar size ad. That was $600 a month, which was a lot of money. And we were like, oh, but it ended up bringing a lot more than that because that's where people went to find companies. Yeah. And it was there that we could say we did eco-friendly, we used eco-friendly products, we were women-owned, and that's where you did your advertising. Mm -hmm. So you said this this uh, is your second rodeo. So what happened to that first venture? I'm tired of it, actually. The challenge was gone. It became drudgery. When you have that many workers, you have a lot of personal issues. He and I were not getting along, so I sold my shares to him because as a former Wall Street executive, he had nothing else to turn to. But I knew I was able to do other things. Go yeah. back to office work, start the business over again, which I eventually did. So I had options. He did not. And we had a, a six-month-old. So I wanted to leave that business and I sold it to him. Bought a yeah. co-op and just started life over again. And is that when you were doing office work in that interim period? Yeah. So what did you learn from that venture, closing that, that chapter, what did you learn? Well, it wasn't something I necessarily wanted to come back to. <clears throat> what I did do, I went, I took a course at the International Culinary Institute, uh, no, International Culinary Center, it used to be the French Culinary Institute. Mm. And I thought I wanted to go back into the food and beverage side of things because I had culinary experience, a little bit of chef training. But I found after that course that I was older and I couldn't get a job in management restaurant business because they were hiring younger people. Mm. So what I did find out was a way to get advisement, free mentoring from SCORE. I don't know if people know of SCORE. What is, can you elaborate on what SCORE is? Sponsored by the SBA and it's a core of retired executives and they mentor people for free and you get excellent advice from them. And from there, I found, about, found out that Columbia had a program, the SBDC program, Small Business Development Center, and I could go there and have one-on-one -on -one mentoring with them. And it was there when I gave, gave them my bio and they saw I'd had the cleaning business, they said, why don't you go back to this? And I was like, oh no, really? And <laughs> yeah, it's time to go with what you know. Mm. Good advice. So I started the business again and I realized I knew a lot of stuff. I knew about ordering uniforms and vacuums and how to get started. Sales, I'm a natural salesperson. So it just made sense to come back to this. 
How did that feel when you made that decision? Because it sounds like you're like, what? No. Yeah, no, drudgery. No. But once I got started, it was like, yeah, this makes sense. Mm. And at that time, I did what's known as shoe leather marketing. I went door to door, spoke to supers, started getting accounts. And I was just a natural salesperson. And I just started over again. And I actually started having fun. So it's fun to be right. your own boss, too. <laughs> well, I think that's key from what you're saying. I love that you said um, the advice was go with what you know um, because you're good at it. And you also realize you have to be having fun during this period of time and that you also are a leader and you recognize you enjoy being a leader. And I think your sales tactics are something I want to dive a little deeper into because you said you were going door to door um, knocking on, you know, making connections with supers. So is that how you started to build back your business? Exactly how I started, bringing the freight elevator. The super comes down and I give them a little slight damsel in distress kind of little story about how, you know, we're new, we're starting, and I could really use your help. Now, okay, so I remember at a networking meeting, the therapist of the group said, so in other words, you manipulated them. <laughs> I said, yes, and they know it. I know it, but no women ring the freight elevator button, so they're totally okay with that. Mm. But we both know it. It's okay. It's fun. Mm. And there were occasions where they take me up in the freight elevator to a tenant who happened to be looking for a cleaning service. And when the super brings you up and recommends you, you're pretty much going to get that, that job. Yeah. I think this is such a great thing to dive into is the relationships that you identified because you're a natural leader you take action so number one you're taking action by going to these places and then number two you're making relationship you're building relationships with the super yes because at the end of the day people buy people that's it's such a great quote people. wait say that again <laughs> people buy people yeah if they don't like you they don't want anything you have if they like you they'll put up with a lot by mm. people, it's about relationships. Yeah. And what a great way to exemplify starting something new and putting in the work. And because if it's your business, you're the person who's going to sell it best, right? Yeah. And yeah. building those relationships are really important. Were Was it just you at that time? And did you bring on anyone else to help? It was me at the time, but I wasn't doing the work. And I don't know, maybe because I'm a college grad, I didn't do the work. I mean, if we were doing a large job, I may, might go into the kitchen and straighten up the pantry, you know. But that wasn't your model that you had in mind. Yeah. Hire people because that's what I had always done. So I started out with two or three workers mm -hmm. and just built from there. So when you were building your company, um, did you notice a shift in your company after a certain period of time where it was growing exponentially or has it been just a steady growth? It was a steady growth. Mm -hmm. Nothing had happened like what I'm expecting to happen come Labor Day when people come back to work more. There was nothing like that. It was just an even add-on one or two at a time. Mm -hmm. And that was my goal, add one or two a month. Mm -hmm. And so when you're, what does your company do? I'd love to um, obviously, I know you're a cleaning service, but what do you specialize in? Well, the previous company, we did it all. Carpet cleaning, window cleaning, floor buffing, and all of that. Now, the uh, 
liability insurance doesn't cover us for all of that. No window cleaning, no floor buffing because there's a risk. We can't even do schools with young children, daycare centers and whatnot. Mm. I have done that because as a woman-owned business, that was easy business to get because women run those right. centers. So uh, liability insurance has changed a lot. Now we just do simple office cleaning. Got it. Um, so simple. And which, you know, I'm older now, and so that's okay with me too. And if they need carpet cleaning, I can refer them to someone. If they need window cleaning, I call a window cleaning company. Because a lot of windows here in New York City, the older buildings have been, the windows have been changed. They come in now. The window cleaners used to hang outside with a belt outside right. the window and clean the windows. But now because of asbestos and issues like that, new windows are put in and they fold inward. So anybody can clean windows. Mm-hmm. And the window cleaning companies were like, hey, wait, we're paying all this insurance to do windows and every Tom, Dick and Harry in town is cleaning windows. So I think that's why the insurance companies took that away. From I them. see. Interesting. Um, so obviously you have, we are in a period of time where people are not in their offices and they're slowly coming back. Um, I'd love to talk to you about your experience before all of this happened. So what was uh, life like in this office world and, and have you learned anything from, or I'm sure you've learned a lot, but what are some of the biggest things that you've learned from switching into more office spaces and just being, having your clients be office um, based? Well, it's good to have a niche. And when I started this business again, I was all gung-ho and ready to clean anything, everything, whatever. Had a restaurant that we cleaned. I learned that that is not my niche because that's pretty much graveyard shift. Mm, the restaurant right. closes around 11, 12 o'clock. That's when the cleaning comes in. And as a solopreneur, pretty much, I could not cover all those shifts. So I, I learned that the restaurant business was not for us. And cleaning greasy grates on the floor and it was just just crazy yeah so i wanted to just come back to simple cleaning and i found with the restaurant business i would go to bed at six in the evening to get up at 11 to go to the restaurant to supervise the crew i'd be there till five in the morning getting back home go back to bed get up at 10 to run the business during the day oh my god like it's a terrible cycle yeah that sounds (laughs) burned down on that one yeah yeah so in the office world, what is that like? <laughs> or what was that like before? Oh, simple. <laughs> you get your it's recurring revenue. You get paid every month. I learned to bill at the beginning of the month for the services we will be providing. And you just do the same thing every day. And you get to get to be good at it and do the details that, you know, you don't sleepwalk through it. You have to be really good if you want to grow the business. Yeah. So we've learned that companies that do just sleepwalk through it, especially now, uh, they're going to have a tough time because now you office cleaning is forever changed. Mm-hmm. But we do do the office cleaning, but you now must sanitize. Right. And I wanted to talk to you about that distinction now that we are, you know, in this world that we, COVID-19 have, has taken over the world and taken over our lives. And in the U.S., it's certainly become uh very scary. And in New York City, there has been, you know, a mass exodus from office spaces and also a lot of people moving to working online. And so the 
uncertainty of offices is just really up in the air from the com- from a lot of conversations I've been having. Yeah. What has your I know we're recently starting to open. Um, what has your life been like during this period of time? Well, it's now July, and we have not had any office cleaning since April. Wow. April, May, June, July. No cash inflow, just outflow. Well, a lot of accounts are staying closed. They found they can work at home. They're forced out of their offices, but they're not forced to come back. Mm-hmm. So they've gotten comfortable at home. Uh, and there's just no hurry to come back. And those who are coming back are like chilling for the summer. We'll be back after Labor Day. Yeah. You so your business it. has taken a huge hit, I'm assuming. Big hit. Just frozen. Yeah. Just frozen yeah. right now. Um, as we are starting to reopen and people are wanting to sanitize their space more, and that's something that you will be doing in your work, um, how can people reach you to get in touch with you to have you work in their space? Well, a couple of ways. There's always the website. Yeah. I have a social media professional. I've had him for a couple of years. He is upgrading or updating the site to make it more relevant. So if there was a picture of a lot of people slapping five, you know, up in the air, well, that picture has to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll put all your information in the episode description um, so people can be in touch with you because I do think that your industry is going to be quite significant as spaces are reopening, um, as we're all getting used to this new quote unquote normal. (laughs) Um, I think sanitizing and cleaning spaces is going to be very, very huge. Um, Two more questions before we wrap up. I really want to ask you about, because you're such a, an action-oriented person, and I love that you sought out mentorship at Columbia, and you really wanted to learn, and you're always learning and adapting. Um, what are some things you're doing right now that are um, continuing your learning process and your growth process? Well, that's what I've been doing the last few months, expanding my knowledge base, because I'm busy as heck, but there's no business. And I ask myself, how can I be so busy? <laughs> but I'm just always learning about new products. Uh, a service that I've, I've teamed up with another company to offer is electrostatic spraying. We'll be doing that mm-hmm. on Monday for an account that's coming back. And the first step is cleaning, which is what we're going to do. They come in behind us and electrostatic spray. So there's just so much stuff to learn. You know, UV lighting is an, another option. We found that doesn't work for offices. So there's just so much to learn. New yeah. products that come out that maybe were around 40 years. Well, all of a sudden, like us, we've come to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Want to know about us now. And I've spent so much time as a consultant. Didn't ask for it, but now I'm a consultant. I love that. And thank you for sharing those things. The last question I have for you, um, as a women-owned business, you are a woman of color, you are a leader, uh, who, who can you identify in your life as other um, female allies that have helped you along the way? Well, it does start with the HR person from the luxury hotel out in Dallas. That was my first role model. She was just a very successful person and very, very smart. Uh, but role models, hmm, people of color? Sure, either people of color or not. 
Hmm. Whoever speaks the most to you. You know, I don't know because I'm in a male dominated business <laughs> and I really have had to do it on my own. Right. Which I'm sort of used to doing. Offhand, I can't think of any role models that spurred me on. If anything, maybe they angered me. <laughs> and, <laughs> but uh, right now, I would just say COVID-19 is the thing that's motivating me now. Mm-hmm. It only you know, activated me where maybe I was in cruise control before can't afford that now. Right. Well, Claudette, I really appreciate you being here and sharing your story. And I've learned so much about leadership from you and how you've navigated your life and how you're always willing to pivot and take action and learn more and be that leader that you've been your whole life. I I really, really um, feel that people can learn so much from your experience and putting yourself out there and taking action. So I very much enjoyed speaking with you about your journey and um, I'm going to link your website in the episode description and how people can get in touch with you. Um, And thank you just so much for being here and sharing everything. Well, you know, we have a detailed sanitizing program and when they go to my website, they'll see that. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Please be in touch with Claudette and, you know, as we're going back into our spaces, we really do need her and her business now more than ever. So thank you so much, Claudette. And thank you. Yeah. And thank you all for being here and for listening. Um, We will see you on our next episode. You can find the growing women podcast on SoundCloud, on Apple podcasts, on YouTube. And uh, we just so appreciate every single listener, every single comment. Um, I actually, before we wrap up, I want to share a quick testimonial that I received. Um, And this is from a woman named Cheryl. And she said, hi, Christina, I just heard your podcast with Trisha Tate. Your kindness and generosity of spirit came through. You have a wonderful way of both listening and advancing the conversation. I wish you continued success on your journey. Thank you, Cheryl. That literally made my day, my month, my year. And I just so appreciate you listening. And um, thank you for being here and growing with us as we are on this journey together. And we'll see you in our next episode. And stay safe, everyone.